We began a few weeks ago talking on this subject of committed more than a fan. So would you take your Bibles today and go to the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, as we continue that whole understanding today of being more than a fan, but really committing our lives to Jesus Christ. As you're doing that, let me say hello to the campuses today. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries, and we're excited about what's taking place week in and week out at the multiple locations of Love and Truth Church, and we believe that God has a word for you today, so would you get ready to receive. We begin talking out of Luke, excuse me, out of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 19th verse. And so would you go there, uh, either in your Bible or your iPad or whatever you have the Word of God on. The 19th verse begins, Therefore, brothers, and I'm reading out of the New International Version, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, and we've, we've told you we're going to be talking about these let us's. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, the first week we talked about in this whole aspect of commitment, we talked out of that passage, out of that verse of Scripture about being committed to Jesus Christ. That you and I are called to make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we've got to give our lives to Him if we really want to live up to our full potential. It's wonderful to know about Jesus, but then we've got to commit to Him to live out day in and day out in our lives. We talked about how also that Scripture says, talks about the washing. In other words, that as I come into relationship with Jesus Christ, not only do I make an, a, a decision to live for Jesus, but I also follow His pattern in baptism as well. And then the next verse there says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So the second week we talked about that we have to be not only committed to Jesus, but we have to be committed to growth. In other words, we've got to be committed to discipleship. And the verse that we used was that, and then we branched out of there, where the Scripture talks about that if we really want to be disciples, that we've got to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and what? Follow Him. And so we talked in that sermon about how that in our lives we have to deny ourselves, that there are aspects of our life that once we become Christians that we have to deny how we've been living. Secondly, we talked about that the cross won't fit through every door. At some places we're going to go into, we've got to leave the cross outside if we go into them, all right? Uh, and then we've got to follow the Lord. And then last week we were in this next verse here where it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, we talked last week about that we need to be committed one to the other. That in the New Testament, over 50 times, the Word of God talks about one another. Pray for one another, exhort one another, love one another. And how that we have to do that to really live up to our potential in the kingdom of God. That true commitment as Christians means that I am committed to those who are in the body of Christ with me, that I'm in relationship. And I told you that coming to church looking at the back of somebody's head is not fellowship. That fellowship happens in small groups and that we need to be committed to one another. We need to find some people that we can hang out with. And one of the things that we talked about last week is that we need to learn that we need to be thinking not what's in it for me, but what can I bring to the table. 
We also talked about remember that nobody's perfect. So you're never going to find a perfect group or a perfect bunch of people to hang out with, but we've all got to find somebody to network with. Now today, we want to continue this whole subject. Would you look in verse 25 as we kind of wrap this up today? It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In other words, some people are once a month church people. Some people are once a year church people. The apostle says, don't quit coming to church, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now today we're going to be talking about being committed to ministry. That as the outflow of your life takes place, that you have to learn that God has called you to be a minister. Now, a lot of times we think that ministers are the people who are on the stage. Those are the ministers. They're the paid professionals, and we just come and we just receive. But here's what the book of Ephesians says. The Word of God says that God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints so that the saints can do works of ministry. Would you look at your neighbor and say, you're a minister? Now, that may have freaked them out a little bit, but they really are. Everybody is, if you are a believer today, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are called to be a minister. Now, now don't freak out about that. Let me just, let me explain to you what ministry is. Ministry is simply serving in the name of Jesus to meet needs and to make a difference. That's what ministry is. Ministry doesn't mean I have to know all the books of the Bible and all the intricate things and all this. Ministry just means that I am serving in the name of Jesus, making a difference in people's lives. And so as a pastor, I, I have an overarching goal in my life. The first one is, is to get people saved. And so uh, week in and week out, we, we always give people an opportunity to be saved. But after people get saved, then my goal is to engage every believer in meaningful ministry. I want everybody to be involved in ministry. I want you, if you are a believer today, I don't want you just to be a spectator. I don't want you just to be a fan. I want you to be a person who is involved in ministry. John Stott, who is a great theologian and great writer, said this in his book called The Cross of Christ. Here's what he said. If the church was worth his blood, speaking of Jesus, is it not worth our labor? Let me say that again. If the church was worth Jesus' blood, is it not worth you and I putting in a little effort, a little labor to see the kingdom of God move forward? I think it is. I think with, with all of my heart that God has called us to be involved in ministry and that each and every one of us must continue to move forward. Now, let me give you four biblical principles or four biblical reasons that you and I need to be involved in ministry. Why do I need to serve? Why is it that I need to be involved? First of all, it's found in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, and uh, the first verse. And here's what it said. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, we thought true and proper worship was when we came to the house of God and lifted our hands. The Bible says that when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, that is where we really worship God. So the number one reason, the number one biblical reason for me to serve in God's kingdom is that serving is a natural response to salvation. 
Jesus Christ gave his life. Jesus Christ died so that I could be forgiven. Now, I want to tell you, I want you to understand what it costs for you to be saved. It's, it's, it's easy because of the greatness of salvation for us to forget that it cost heaven its very best. The Bible says God sent his only begotten son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. So he came, he gave his life, and then sometimes, and, and I don't want to get too much in your business, but I will. Sometimes we act like it's such a big deal that somebody would think that we ought to serve in God's church. I can't believe they would ask me to hand out a bulletin. I can't believe they would ask me to work at a fresh start table. I can't believe they would think that I hadn't ought to just show up every week and take up a seat. I read of a church just recently, and this is not a small, this is a mega church, a church of about 8,000, just sent out letters to a bunch of people in their church asking them not to come back. Now, I've never done that. And the reason they did is they, they begin to check their records and they found out these people weren't serving in a ministry, they weren't faithful in their giving, and they weren't faithful in attendance. And they wrote them and said, we would ask that you find another place to go to church because we need your seat. I, I, I thought it was funny. I, I thought, you know what, that's, that's interesting. And what, what they found happened was all of a sudden a bunch of people signed up. They said, we've just been freeloading. Now we're going to get involved, all right? But, but God has saved you. God has done so much for you. How can we week in and week out just come in, take, receive, and then leave and never, ever give? You wouldn't do that anywhere else. I told you I was going to get in your business. All right? The second biblical reason is found in 1 Peter 4.10. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. The second thing, uh, biblical reason, is serving uses my spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk more about spiritual gifts in a minute. But serving, when I come into the house of God, when I join up with the people of God, my serving does something in God's kingdom, and that is I begin to use the spiritual gifts that God has placed in my life. The next one there, the third one that we find in Scripture uh, as we look at that this morning is this. Philippians 2 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. The third reason that you ought to be serving is that serving destroys selfishness. You can't serve and be selfish at the same time. If you're serving in God's kingdom, if you're loving on people, if you're helping people, if you're doing something for other people, then I promise you, that you are going to get out of that selfishness and you're going to begin to live a life that is selfless and you begin to see the blessings of God coming into your life. The fourth reason is this, because I want to get to the meat of helping us to live this out. The fourth reason is Mark, the 10th chapter and the 45th verse. And here's what it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Now think about that. But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The fourth reason that you and I ought to serve in the kingdom of God and in ministry is because serving makes me like Jesus. 
The Bible lets us know he came to serve. He came to this earth to serve mankind. He didn't have to. It was his choice. The Bible says, although he were equal with God, he took upon himself the, the form of flesh and walked upon this earth and gave his life as a ransom for you and I. And so in that, that we need to understand that in every day of my life, my serving makes me more like Jesus. Now, having said all that, some of us are sitting out here going, well, you know, I'm just one person, and, you know, really one person can't make a, that much of a difference. Really? Tell Steve Jobs that. If you have an a iPhone or anything like that, one man changed the world. Tell Rosa Parks that. One woman said, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm as good as anybody else, and I'll sit where I want to change the world there's there's throughout history as you study history what you find is is that there is an ongoing process of one person from the bible all the way through recorded history you find that one person makes a difference now i want to tell you something you have been given the blessings of god you have been given the gifts of God. You are in relationship with God. And because of that, you can make a difference. Here's what the Bible says about you. The Word of God says that you were created in the image and in the likeness of God. In other words, you have been given the, the abilities, and I, I don't want to get in trouble here, but you've been given the abilities that only comes through God and from God, and He only gave it to mankind. He did not give it to anybody else. And so because of that, we've been given the ability in how to move forward and to really make a difference if we'll get committed to ministry. Now, you say, well, pastor, if you're telling me I can make a difference, how do I find my place in ministry? You know, I, I, I look at different ministries, I look at different people, and they're doing things, but I don't know how that I am to find out what I'm to do. So I want to share with you just a, a real quick step-by-step -step process that you can find out what it is that you need to be doing and how that God has created you and made you perfectly to fulfill ministry in His kingdom. So we're going to go through it quickly today. First of all is, is that you need to find out what your spiritual gifts are. All right, number one is find out what my spiritual gifts are. What did God give me? The Bible lets us know that when we get saved, that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. To some's given one, to some's given more than one. But the Scripture lists over 20 gifts of the Spirit that are given to the church. There's the gift of mercy. There's the gift of hospitality. There's the gift of leadership. There's the gift of administration. There's the gift of prophecy. There's the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Uh, on and on and on. Discerning of spirits. The gifts of healing. These are all mentioned in Scripture. How do I come to that place of saying, wait a minute, I'm saved, I'm a believer but how do I now find my place in the kingdom of God? You know, do I just show up and just say, well, thank you, Jesus? Or do I begin to look and see what's in my life? So first of all, I need to determine what my spiritual gifts are. You say, well, how do I do that? Glad you asked. I'm going to help you. Number one is read what the Word of God says about spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul said, I would not have you ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. And yet, the body of Christ is pretty ignorant about spiritual gifts. We're afraid of them. We've heard bad things about them, all this stuff. And so we, we back up. Wait a minute. Until the church, until believers are operating in their spiritual gifts, the church is never going to fulfill its destiny. 
So I've got to study the Word of God. I've got to read the Word of God. I've got to find out what it is that the Word of God says. I need to find some books on spiritual gifts and read there. And there'll be a lot of it you'll want to throw out. But there'll be two or three things that will help you in determining what your spiritual gifts are. Number two is you need to ask people that you are in relationship with if you have any spiritual gifts. Criticism is not a spiritual gift. Being negative is not a spiritual gift. Some of you have that gift, but it's not spiritual. All right? Now, here's what we find as well. Have you ever seen somebody operating in what they thought was a spiritual gift and you knew that it really was not their gift? Any, you understand? I've had people say, well, pastor, I have a gift of teaching. And so they teach. And you only have to listen one time to go, no, they really don't have. What's wrong with y'all? They really don't have the gift of teaching. Here's how you know. Because they take simple things and make them complicated. That's not what a teacher does. A true teacher takes complicated things and makes them simple. And so if they can't break it down where you can walk it out, people tell me all the time, man, you know, I understood what you said today. Well, here's my deal is, is I try to preach at about a fifth grade level because I figure out if fifth graders can get it, all of us college educated people can get it as well. All right, and, and so I figure if I get it simple enough, we can all pick up on it. We can all get it. And, and so it's, it's needful for us to, to ask around, hey, I, I think I've got this gift. I think I've got the gift of healing. Uh, well, the last time you prayed for me, I got worse. <laughs> Let's try that a little bit. I'll tell you what, next time somebody gets sick, not me, but I'm going to call you, come pray for them. And then we'll see if you really... Right? You just need to ask some people uh, what they think in, in the aspect of spiritual gifts. Number three is, is that you need to just try it. Just, just try. Just say, you know, I, th I think I've got the gift of hospitality. Uh, well, try it. Invite people over to your house. See how uncomfortable they are. <laughs> if, if they're totally ill at ease while they're at your house, you probably don't have the gift of hospitality. Right? Come on, you ever, have you ever... I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever gone to somebody's house and, and the whole time you were there, you were so ill at ease, you couldn't wait to get out? You know, you have one of two extremes there. You, you knock on the door and the door opens, you go, oh, they weren't expecting me. Look at that house. There's stuff everywhere. Or it's the other extreme. You know, they still got the Ray Romano thing. They got, they got the, the couch still covered in plastic. And, and they got coasters, you know, on the ready. If you move, man, at the speed of light, they got a coaster under everything you got. You're, you're pretty quick to, to try to get out of there. You're just, wait a minute. And, and so, but, but just try it. See, see what is there, there's no, There's nothing wrong in trying something and not succeeding. There's only something wrong in not trying at all. All right? And, and so we have to be willing to say, wait a minute, what are my spiritual gifts, number one? Number two is, what, what is my heart or my desires? And I'll explain that to you, but just write it down. What's my heart slash, what are my desires? In other words, what is it that I love? What do I love to do? What, what do I love uh, to, that, that just gives me energy? Here's, I can tell you what your desires are. Your, your heart or your desires are those things that even though they make you physically tired, you're still excited about when you're done with it. All right? 
Uh, when, when you go on a mission trip and you work hard the whole time you're there and you come back totally exhausted, but you're still excited about it, then you've got a passion for mission. If you go on a mission trip and you work hard and you come back home saying, that's the last thing I ever want to do, you probably don't have that, all right? Uh, you know, we, we, need to, we need to be able to do that. Because here's what I tell you. In your life, God has gifted you. God has given you something that you need to learn to use for His kingdom. He's given you that heart, that desire, that thing that makes you wake up at night excited, wakes you up in the morning where you're ready to go. Listen, there's, there's a lot of times that, that I will, will speak on, on multiple occasions and uh, go home and I'm physically exhausted, but I am so keyed up that I can't go to bed for hours sometimes at night because even though my body may be tired, I am so excited about what I saw happen and people's lives being changed that that is what motivates me and what moves me. So whatever it is, be begin to determine, begin to look inwardly and say, you know, what is it that excites me? What is it that I love to do? And, and what can I do with that and bring it into the kingdom? The, uh, the next word there is abilities, okay? So you have, have your spiritual gifts, you have your heart, now you have your abilities. In other words, what I have. Now here's what we're talking about. Your talents, your education, the skills that you have learned. Those things can be used in the kingdom of God. It's interesting to me how often... We, we do all kind of things to, to further our education, to further our goals in life, to further our work experience, on and on and on. And then, in the midst of that, we never translate that to the kingdom of God. We make lots of money. We, we succeed greatly. We get the bigger houses, the bigger cars. We get the fancier titles. We get all those things. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But don't you think if God's given you abilities in the secular arena that you can also bring those ability into the church and use those for His kingdom and for His glory as well. And when you begin to do that, what you find is, is that you find your life beginning to be integrated in every aspect. That it's not, I've got the, the one part of my world over here and my church life over here. All of a sudden, these two have now come together because I am using the abilities, the talents, the skills, those things that I have learned for the kingdom of God. And, and so it's, it's needful that we do that. It's needful that we understand how that we go about using those things that God has taught me. So if I want to know what my ministry is, what are my abilities? What are those things that I've been given to use for the kingdom of God? You know, you say, well, pastor, you know, I'm, I'm a carpenter, and that's all I know how to do. How does that translate into ministry? Oh, it translates well. Translates great. We got people all the time needing help. Fixing this, putting that back, they, they can't afford. But somebody, we, we've, had, we've had teams go out of our church to people's houses to paint, to fix porches, to fix roofs, on and on and on. And you say, well, that doesn't sound real spiritual. Oh, that's very spiritual. Ask that person whose house got fixed. Right? So the abilities that we have been given, a lot of times we want to relegate that to only the four walls of the church. And I do think that we need to be involved in the four walls of the church. But there's also taking those abilities we've been given and using them to bless people outside the walls of the church as well. Getting involved in area ministries and those that are touching the area in different ways than maybe the local church is, is also needful if I'm really going to be committed to ministry. Now remember, we've been talking this whole series about more than a fan. 
It's easy to sit in the stand and yell on Sunday. It's easy to get up on Monday morning and say what the quarterback should have done or what the right tackle should have done or what this one or that one. It's something else to get so committed that we get out of the stands and get into the game. And that's what God's called us to do. He says, take your abilities and use those for my kingdom. A couple of more, he talks about your personality. If I want to find out what my gifts are, what, what's my personality? In other words, what I am as an individual. You know what? If you are a very shy, introverted person, you probably don't have the gift of evangelism. That's not yours. You, 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 you may, yeah, you're supposed to tell people about Jesus, but you don't have the gift of evangelism if you're an introvert. That would be somebody who is an extra, extrovert, type A person who's going out. They would have that. You would have something else. Maybe yours is mercy. Maybe yours is administration. Whatever it is, you need to find out. So when, when we look at our lives, when, when we look at our personality, how are we wired? See, everybody's wired differently. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, they're a little bit strange? Come on, right? Don't point at them. You ever done that? It's like, there's something about them that's just a little bit strange. Well, what it is is they're just wired differently than you are. Now, the fun part is, is when you marry somebody, <laughs> that's a little bit strange. That really creates some fun stuff. But, but everybody's personality. So you need to look at your personality, and you need to figure out how that translates in the ministry in the kingdom of God. And last is this, is your experience, all right? In other words, what I have done with my life. What are my experiences? If you're a person who, is, who has gone through some tragedy and heartache and, and trials in your life, that experience has shaped you. In fact, if you look at the first letter of those words that I just gave you, it, it says shape. What we're saying is, is that we are all shaped or we are all formed for ministry. God has allowed you to experience some things. I didn't say he caused them. There are some things happening in your life God had nothing to do with as far as creating them or causing them, but he knew about them. And here's what I found out about God. God is not willing to let any experience go to waste. He wants to use it. So if you've gone through difficulty, if you've gone through heartache, if you've gone through trauma or divorce, or, or maybe you, you've gone through a bad sickness or you lost family early in life, whatever it is, I promise you God can take that experience and He can use it for His glory. But you've got to be willing to get out of your box. You've got to be willing to say, you know what? I know God has done some things for me. God has done some things in my life. And instead of me staying in this two-by-four world I've been living in, I am going to do everything I can to make a difference in somebody else's life. I want to challenge you today as I close this whole series on commitment out. First of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I challenge you to get committed to Jesus Christ. If you haven't been growing in your relationship with God, I challenge you to get committed in your growth with God. Thirdly, if you aren't in relationship with other believers, again, I challenge you to get committed to other believers. But last but certainly not least, if you're not serving in God's house, if you are not day in and day out living out this thing called Christianity in a serving to the world, I challenge you today, don't settle 
for everything in your life being about you. You've heard me say it, but I'll say it again. A person who is all wrapped up in themselves makes a mighty small package. Why don't we kind of get out of our lives and begin to live for Jesus Christ? You say, can one, one person make a difference? They can. Let me share this with you as I close today. When I was 14 years of age, my parents were missionaries and we were missionaries in Africa. And at 14, your life is in an upheaval anyway. You're in those teenage years. And my parents had felt called to the mission field. And one day, I still remember to this day, my dad leaving and I was at home. And I still remember him pulling out of the driveway with two other missionaries. As they were traveling in Kenya to preach the gospel, they had a head-on collision with a semi-truck. And in that moment, my father's life was taken. And through the years, I struggled with that in my relationship with God. I'll be honest with you, I was bitter for many years because I said, God, my father said he was called by you to make a difference in Kenya, and he was killed within a year of getting there. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make any sense at any level. And so for years, I, I had turmoil and finally came to a point that I felt like that I had settled it. A few years ago, Sherry and I had the opportunity to travel to Kenya, I don't know, six, eight years ago now. And we went to a church in Nairobi that had been dedicated in honor of my father. And as we went there, there were some missionaries there, and this lady missionary was standing there, and she said, have you ever heard the story of Pastor Sampson? I said, I don't know who Pastor Sampson is. She said, well, let me tell you, this church had been dedicated to my dad, and there was a plaque there, and we were standing there looking at that. She said, the day that you were killed, your father was killed, she said, there was a Kenyan who was standing on the side of the road with his little son. He said, they saw the accident. He said, they saw your father killed. And he said, they found out that these were missionaries that had come to present the gospel. And they said, this man named Samson looked at his little boy that day, and he said to him, if those people from America think enough of their God, to come to our land and give their lives, then I'll live for Jesus the rest of my life. She continued to say that this man became a pastor. And she said he had recently passed away. And she said at their last meeting of over 300 pastors that he was overseeing, she said they had those who had been influenced and who had been saved under Pastor Sampson's ministry to stand. Well over half of those ministers were saved as a result of that man seeing something that was a tragedy that on this side I did not understand but on that side God took even what the enemy meant for evil and he used it for good one life so soon it will pass only what's done for Christ will last. That's it. That's what God says to us and into our lives. Would you bow your heads today?